Hi, welcome to Live with Dr. Nancy on Wednesday at lunch. We have a very special um, topic today I'm really excited about, and I think you're going to find it really informative. So I want to say beforehand, if you um, would do us a favor and share this, because it's a great topic, it's going to help a lot of people, and it's um, something everybody needs to know. But before we get started, I just want to remind you about our Have a Heart campaign that we're doing. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. We are raising money for Oklahaven. It's a children's chiropractic clinic in um, Oklahoma, and they treat special needs. People come from all over the world to be treated by um, the doctor there, and it's a not-for-profit. So every year, uh, chiropractors like to get together and raise money for this great organization. And so to sweeten the deal, I'm going to match every dollar that's donated. So if you guys could you know, help us out, we've just got until it looks like the 18th until this campaign ends. So I'd appreciate helping and I'd be very happy to donate a dollar for dollar, every dollar that you send in. So thank you for everybody who has donated. I appreciate it. And let's get on with the show. So today I'm introducing um, Bob Wallace and Bob is a fireman and EMT, right? You said? Oh uh, yeah. Paramedic, yeah. firefighter, paramedic. Yep. Yeah. He's going to um, teach us today about um, CPR for infants and the Heimlich maneuver. So um, Bob, I'm going to let you take it away and tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Okay. Thank you. Uh, my name is Bob Wallace. I'm with Indiana State and Health and that's one of the uh, business I own and we provide CPR and first aid training to several thousand people a year. We train about 1,500 to 2,000 people a year. We've been doing this for about 2,000. And as far as my background, like Dr. Cooper mentioned, I'm a paramedic firefighter uh, here locally. Um, I'm advanced cardiac life support or ACLS certified, pediatric advanced life support certified, of course, CPR certified. I'm a regional instructor trainer, primary instructor, which basically means I can teach EMT and paramedics um, and all that good stuff. So I've been to several thousand uh, classes over, I've been a firefighter for, let's see, 22 years now. Oh, wow. Since uh, 97 professionally, I've actually been in the fire service since 92, but I've been a career firefighter since 97. So I have a little bit of experience and I, I love what I do and I love teaching people. We are very excited to hear um, what you got. Do you want to start with the CPR part? Or Yes, I think okay. that'd be good. So uh, when we teach CPR, we teach it in three different age categories. We talk about infants, which is zero to one, children, which is one to puberty and adults which is puberty and above and i'm just going to kind of show, show that child and infant today um, and then the biggest thing is that they've made cpr the cpr changes about every five years um, they do studies and they update the cpr standards to you know go with whatever the latest scientific advancements are and the scientific data that shows and uh, so if i show something that you're like i don't really remember that it may be because you've had an older class or you're, you're you took that certification uh you know back at the older standard now if you did take that certification at the older standard that's okay do what you were taught the most important thing is, is that people do something and that's the reason there's been a rise of compression only cpr traditional cpr is when you still ventilate the patient but uh, if you're ever afraid of ventilating the patient because of, you know, say you don't know the person uh, or there's some fluid around them, it's okay to do compression only CPR. But what I'm going to demonstrate is traditional CPR, which is what we traditionally teach. And I'll start with uh, child. I feel like I'm talking fast. So at any point, you know, interrupt me if you need to. I'm going to make you the focus here so yep. people can see. 
So on, um, on CPR, like I said, it's between ages of one and puberty. And the first thing you always want to do is you want to check for responsiveness. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tilt my computer screen down a little bit just so you can see it. But um, you always want to check for responsiveness. Can you see that okay? Yes. Yep. Okay. So always, you know, hey, hey, are you okay? That's important because, you know, quite honestly, if they're just sleeping on a park bench, you're going to make a real good friend and real bad enemy real quick. So always okay. make sure they're truly unresponsive. Mm -hmm. After that, you're always going to point to someone to tell them to call 911. Now, that's really important because in an emergency, you know, if there's five or six people standing around, one person may think the next called 911, no one's called, or 911 gets inundated with the same phone call. So if you point to someone specifically and say, you call 911, everyone knows that's that person's job and they're calling 911. After that, you can also say, go get an AED if there's one available. So I can check for response and if you, you have 911 called, now what you're gonna do is you're just gonna look for breathing. We used to teach a pulse check for lay rescuer and that's no longer taught. And one of the reasons why is 35% of the rescuers out there thought there was a pulse and there wasn't one. So 35% of the victims never got a resuscitation measures implemented because there was no pulse. So now we just look for breathing and signs of life. If there's no breathing signs or and no signs of life, we're gonna go go ahead and go straight into CPR. And on CPR for the child, basically your landmarks, you can find them one of three ways, is you can locate the nipple line, go in between it, or you can locate the sternum, go to the lower half of the sternum, but stay off the bottom. Or the third way is you can come up with a xiphoid process to where this notch is and go a couple fingers above it. All three ways basically get you in the same location. After that, you're gonna get above the person and do 30 compressions. You're doing these compressions hard and fast, and you're doing them one third the depth of the chest for child and infant. For children, that comes out to about two inches. For infants, that comes out to about an inch and a half. And you're doing these at a rate of 100 to 120 compressions a minute. If you think about that song, Staying Alive, that keeps you on that beat. Like, dun, 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 staying alive, that keeps you on that beat. Or you can just count it loud. And two and three and four. Anyway, you get the 30, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. You have to do a head tilt chin lift. You're going to pinch the nose. If you watch, you'll see the chest. You get two breaths of air and you'll see the chest rise. And what's good about this standard is you just keep doing this 30 and two, 30 and two, 30 and two until someone takes over or you get too tired, or the scene becomes unsafe, or there's an improvement in the patient's condition. But if none of those result, you just keep going as long as you can. Most of the time, either someone will take over or you will get too tired. But if the scene does become unsafe or there is an improvement in the patient's condition, you can stop then. Now, as far as choking, and that's very common in children and infants, the thing you do there for children is you do something called the Heimlich maneuver or uh, it's called abdominal thrust. And what you do is you get behind the child, you locate their belly button, you go above it, and you stay off this notch. I called you, I mentioned it as a xiphoid process earlier, but basically you're just anywhere in between here. You're gonna make a fist, grab your fist, and give upward inward thrust, upward inward thrust, upward inward thrust, until they go unconscious or the object comes out. Now, if the object comes out 
it's not a bad idea to call 911 anyway because that may have made their epiglottis swollen. And it's, it's good to go ahead and get them checked out. If they do pass out, what you're going to do, and they've made this real streamlined too, is you're just going to go straight back into 30 compressions and two breaths of air. But before you give the two breaths of air, you're going to look before you ventilate. So it's identical to CPR. So in CPR, you do 30 compressions, two breaths of air, 32, 32, 32. Unconscious choking, you do 30 compressions, look in the mouth, two breaths of air, 30, look into, 30, look into, 30, look into. So regardless if they're not breathing and they're unconscious, you're doing 30 compressions and two breaths of air. However, if you think they're choking, you're doing 30 compressions, look in the mouth, and two breaths of air. That's the only difference. So they really streamlined it. And that's basically it for child. And I'll show you infant here in a second, but I'll, you know, if anybody has questions, I'll take those uh, before I go on to infant. And by the way, medicine is really, you, you know, this is more really weight-based instead of age-based, but we teach an age because if, quite honestly, if you ask most dads how their kids are, they're going to be able to tell you. If you ask them their weights, you got to look at their mother and say <laughs> how much does your kid weigh. So the point being is if you have a 11th month old that looks like a linebacker, you can probably treat them like a child. And if you have a child that's very petite, you know, say 13 months old, you can probably treat them like an infant. But those are kind of broad categories that we put them in. What part of the hand are you contacting um, on the okay. Yep, I'm using the heel of my hand. Okay. And a couple of tricks of that is if you can get your uh, elbows and shoulders directly over their sternum and keep yourself locked in. Some people want to bounce like this, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But if you can keep locked in, and do that that's that's a better way to do it and some people also want to rock like this as they're doing it yeah try to do that try to just come straight over but i can tell you this too is in cpr classes back 20 years ago there used to be all these little things that were you're doing this wrong you're doing that wrong you're do and what we found out is people would be like if i can't get it right in cpr class how can i get it right when i'm stressed out on the real thing so what we do now is Hey, do something. If you forget everything I'm telling you today, it's okay. Do compression only CPR. But if you can remember to throw a couple of breaths in there, perfect. If you give 33 compressions on one breath or 26 compressions in three breaths, you know what? That's better than nothing. I'm going to give you a high five when I see you. So Right. And then now you're going to show us the infant one? Yes. Okay. So infants, uh, a little bit different. When you breathe into an infant, you know, in child, I told you, you breathe into their, you pinch their nose. On an infant, you breathe in their mouth and their nose because they're so small. The second thing is uh, when you compress on an infant's chest, instead of using the heel of your hand, you use two fingers. Your two fingers are in the center of their chest, just below their nipple line. Now, there's two ways to do this. One, you can use your fingers like this, okay? But then there's also uh, a two-thumb encircling method where you can use your fingers sort of like this. Okay, that's a little bit easier if you got big fingernails. Uh, or if you get if you're getting tired out, you can use this method. If you're doing CPR on an infant, you're still doing 30 compressions, two breaths of air. If they're unconscious, you're still doing 30 compressions, look in the mouth, two breaths of air. So I'll show that once. You always come up, check for response in this. Hey, are you okay? There's no response. You call 911, get the AD. Now I'm going to look for breathing. There's no breathing, and I'm going to start CPR with the two fingers. And I'm going to do these, like I said, at a rate of 100 to 120 compressions a minute, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. I'm going to do a head tilt, chin lift, two breaths of air. 
I'm going to get a few breaths of air. The chest will rise and then back to 30 compressions, two breaths of air. You keep doing this again, those four situations till you get too tired, someone takes over, the scene becomes unsafe, or there's an improvement in the patient's condition. If they're choking, you still do the 30 compressions and two breaths of air, but remember you look in the mouth before you ventilate. Um, so that's you know real easy on infant CPR. It's so similar to child. They've made them similar. And by the way, on all three, I said uh, 100 to 120 compressions a minute. A lot of people say, am I going to get 100 to 120 compressions a minute? Well, maybe, maybe not. What you're doing is that's your rate of speed. It's like driving down the road at 100 miles per hour, but stopping every 30th mile to rest. Are you going to get 100 miles in one hour? Probably not because you're stopping every 30th mile to rest. You're trying to get in 100 100 to 120 compressions a minute, but you're stopping every 30th compression to give two breaths of air. But that's a rate of 100, 120 compressions a minute. Like I said, you can go by that B of staying alive, or you can count out loud one and two and three and four, uh, or you can remember, okay, that's about 30 compressions in 17 seconds. And something we like to tell people is if they can count out loud, that's really good. Uh, and some people ask, well, why is that important? Well, think about this. If you're in your place of business, you call 911 and you're in a back room, for example, and the fire truck gets there and the ambulance gets there and they're looking for you. Well, if I arrive on the scene and I hear 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, I know two things going on. I know A, where you are, and B, I know probably what you're doing. You're doing CPR. So if you count out loud, that kind of keeps you focused. That keeps your mind you know, on, on task. Now, as far as choking on infant, uh, you don't do, am I talking too quick? Not at all. Okay. You're doing great. <laughs> okay. uh, on choking on infant, instead of doing the Heimlich maneuver, you do a series of back blows followed by chest thrusts. And I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to try to keep this in trade. But the back blows, what we do is they're between the shoulder blades. You're going to use the heel of your hand and you're going to get five of them. One, two, three, four, five. You're going to sandwich them, turn them over, by chest thrusts with two fingers. Your fingers stay on the chest. One, two, three, four, five. Sandwich them, back blows, one, two, three, four, five, chest rest, one, two, three, four, five. And you just keep doing this until they go unconscious or the object comes out. Now, a couple questions usually come up about this. What about shaking baby? Well, as I'm giving back blows, their head is in my hand, right? Their body's on my arm. As I'm giving chest rest, their head is in my hand, their body's on my arm. A lot of people say, hey, is this right? No, that's not right. I see that at every family reunion. <laughs> I'm not going to bring them here. That's not right. But this is right, okay? Their head's in your hand, their body's on your arm. A lot of people ask, hey, are you covering up the airway? Well, if you look, I'm not covering up the airway, right? But if I do this, what am I doing? I'm covering up the airway. So hold their head like this. The other thing is a lot of people say, um, you know, how are you actually holding them? Well, I'm holding them down a little bit. I'm having gravity help me get, get, help me get that object out when I do back blows and chest rest. And lastly, I'm not gonna stand up like this when I'm doing them, because if you stand up, you're just gonna be doing this, right? So you'd have your hand over your, your, your hand and your arm over your leg. You'd be, when you're doing this, you should, you should be in a sitting position um, when you do the back blows and chest rest. And one thing I like to say on infants is for CPR to be effective, they need to be on a hard, flat surface like a floor. So if you see a child on a couch or a bed, move them to the floor. On an infant, 
move them to the floor on the, or on the napkin. If you have a real sturdy table, you can move them to the table. Okay. So yeah, we have. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I say. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, she wants to know when checking um, the mouth first for choking. Um, is there a trick to checking the mouth because you know how small their mouth is? Yeah. So what I like to do on a dog or child is I like to take my thumb and my index finger and kind of make it like that. And then I just pull up and I kind of pull up on their jaw and then I check the mouth that way. That's one thing I like to do. Another common question some people might be wondering is when you're doing unconscious choking, say for a child, for example, you do 30 compressions, you look in the mouth and you give two breaths of air. Basically you're doing CPR, but you look before you ventilate. And some people say, hey, wait a minute, what if I don't see that object? What's that mean? Well, there's three thought processes on this is number one, you know, they ask, could I blow that object further down? And actually, yeah. And uh, but there's a couple of thoughts on that. Number one is you have two lungs. And when your lungs, when your trachea splits into two, it's called bifurcation. And it goes to your right bronchial and your left bronchial. Your right bronchial is a little bit more straight than your left one. And the reason why is, as most people can probably guess right now, is where's your heart sit? Like right over here. Well, what you could do is inadvertently blow that object further down and what's called a right main stem blockage. Well, now you get the use of your left lung. You didn't have use of any lung before. The second thought process is, is as these airways get, you know, go further down, they get smaller, smaller, smaller. Well, if you have an object that's stuck at the top of your trachea, when you compress on the chest, what you're doing is you're increasing what's called inner thoracic pressure. And some of that air may be hitting that object. Some of the air may be going around that object. But if, again, you inadvertently blow that object into a smaller air passage, now 100% of that inner thoracic pressure is hopefully hitting that object to push it out. And the third thought process is you're really not going to know unless you ventilate because maybe they weren't truly choking. Maybe the object wasn't in their trachea and maybe it was in their esophagus, which is common for kids as well. They may get like a marble stuck in their esophagus. They just can't get it down. You think they're choking and then it solves itself. So, right. Yeah. So those are all good, good, good question and uh, very common questions. Good. Um, well, before we sign off, is there anything that um, we didn't cover or I didn't ask you that you want the parents to know? Um, I would say the biggest thing is always do something uh, and be as calm as you can during an emergency. Uh, I'd rather have someone that's around that's very calm and composed and trying to do something that maybe someone's had all the training in the world, but they're panicked. I mean, think about if you hopefully none of the viewers have ever had to call paramedics, but if you get a paramedic there and they're panicked, think about that. How would you, how would you feel? And it's not like getting a pizza. You can't order a different paramedic. You get what you get, right? <laughs> so, so one thing we always say is be, be sure to be calm, comforting and reassuring, you know, and that's something that it's hard to teach and it's something that comes with time and some people are better at it than others. Uh, but I would say that's the biggest thing is be as calm as you can. And, you know, if you think about a kid that's ever been hurt, hurt on the playground, like my kids when they were little, uh, got, I remember one of them got hurt at the baseball field. And most coaches and most people, or at least me, I'll say, hey, kid, rub it off. You're okay. Throw some dirt on it. But then there's other parents that will go out there and run to the kid. And the kid looks like they're getting ready to cry, but they're not quite there yet. Now, if the coach says, walk it off, what's the kid do? He walks it off, goes back to the dugout. But the, for the parent out there that's screaming and this and that, what's the kid do? They start freaking out. And adults are really no different. So the best thing you can do is calm down the situation. Be sure to activate EMS or call 911. 
and, and do something. Remember, if, if you if people walk away, I think people it, statistics show that even though certifications are generally good for two years, after about three months, uh, people start to forget some of the stuff. And that's the reason we've tried uh, nationally and internationally to make these standards a little bit easier that, hey, if you forget everything else, do compressions only, wait for EMS to arrive, get an AED, and then follow those AEDs, by the way, stand for automated external defibrillators. Follow those prompts because they did a study with sixth grade students. They found out 90% of the sixth grade students could use the AED with little or no training. And I can tell you, if sixth graders can do it, then you know we're, 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 we should be all right, right? So uh, it's, they really made them simple. CPR has been made uh, much simpler than it used to be and, and do something. No one's ever going to fault anybody for doing something. And you are protected by the Good Samaritan Law. Indiana has a Good Samaritan Law, and you are protected by it. Good. One last question before we go. Um, they're yeah. asking about doing the Heimlich maneuver on pregnant women. Can you do that? Yes. Uh, on preg uh, Great question. On pregnant women, uh, let me get the other mannequin out. Instead of doing them on the uh, abdominal area, you're going to go straight to the chest. Okay? And it's a straight back chest rest. And by the way, this is any time that you think they're pregnant. You may not know they're pregnant, but if you even think they're pregnant, you wanna go straight to the chest, you're doing straight back chest rest. And then one more thing is to know that uh, if you're choking and you're by yourself, you should do the self Heimlich maneuver or you should lean over a table or a chair and do the Heimlich maneuver that way. Now I always joke with my wife, I like, hey, if you ever walk in the room, there's four chairs broke, I'm unconscious and there's Reese cups next to me, it's not because I didn't try. So, so be sure to find a sturdy chair or a sturdy table, but try not to panic and do the self homic maneuver. But great question on pregnancy. Definitely do the homic maneuver. And it's, it's, uh, it's just actually chest rest. Do that around the chest and straight in. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Bob, so. thank you so much for um, all the information you gave us. Um, you're welcome. I'm sure it's Hopefully no one will ever have to use something you're teaching, but yeah. it's nice to have that in our back pocket should we ever need it. So sure. um, thank you again for coming and we really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us today. Okay. Thank you for having me. And if anybody ever needs a class, uh, they have our website. So great. Thank you again. And to everybody watching, have a happy Valentine's day. <laughs>